0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. Welcome to you. Open your Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 41. Franklin Campus, Perry, Oklahoma. All of you, open your Bibles to Genesis 41. Let's, uh, let's talk about money. I know we have guests in the house, and you're going to think, oh, my goodness, this is one of those preachers, and all he talks about is money. I'm not that guy, although you, you, you people crack me up because there are two things that if I ever preach on, if I, if I preach on it one time, you walk out saying, that's all he talks about. And those two things are? Y'all know, y'all know, <laughs> sex and money. If I preach one sermon on sex, somebody will walk out and say, that's all he talks about. He's got sex on the brain. That's what y'all do to me. And if I preach on money, you say, that's all he talks about. That preacher's got money on the brain. Well, you're wrong. I really rarely talk about these things. But if it seems like I talk about it a whole lot to you, that probably says more about you than it says about me. You understand that? Probably says more about you than about me. However, if you feel like I speak about it too much in the pulpit, you don't sit in my chair all week long because as I continue to be your pastor through the week and as families and individuals from our church and community come to me, their primary problems, their primary spiritual problems tend to have something to do with sexual intimacy or or money. And right now on my prayer list, I have a number of folks who are really struggling financially. I'm praying for unemployed people. I'm praying for folks who are really, really struggling, and I want you to understand that I talk about this much more in the lives of people through the week than I do from the pulpit. Uh, so let's take a look at Genesis chapter 41. To put some things in perspective this morning, especially for those of you who are really struggling financially, I want to read a part of a letter that we received from Zimbabwe this past week. If you are here Wednesday night, you've already heard this. Our church, uh, thanks to the, the sacrificial volunteer work of Lisa Williams, our church collects for Zimbabwe. We will fill a container of, of uh, items for humanitarian aid and send there to the very, very poor folks there. And, and this is a thank you letter received from one of the villages there, folks who received what we sent. I want you to listen to this. Understand that in the box, among the many, many things we sent, we sent a number of children's shoes that light up. Have you seen those? When they walk, they light up. So understand, he's going to refer to those. Uh, this is a letter we got this week. Listen. I want to take this special time to thank you so much for the change you have brought to our village of in Sandy in Mutu, Mutu, Mutoku. The gifts came to us on the 26th of May, just before the winter began. It was such a big, big blessing, things we have never seen or know how to use them. We are a poor village, and I am the headsman from this village called Cat Sandy. I received books, clothes, shoes, lotion, warm baby blankets, socks, shaving things for the people in my village. Wow, some of the shoes have lights and glow very well in the dark. We do not have lights and only see them when we go into towns. People were surrounding the children with the glow and lights shoes. We spend the whole night laughing. This is something I myself have never seen in all my 78 years Actually, this was the first time the villagers got together in many, many, many years because everyone would mind their own business because everyone would be looking for food. We also have a clinic that has been run down. We thank you ever so much for the gloves, hydrogen peroxide, antibacterial hand soap, soap towels, underwear for the children. Children had never, ever worn underwear, unaffordable at all. Thank you, Lisa Williams and Church for the undergarments. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you ever so much. May the Almighty Father bless you, headsman Mr. Onias Meckie. While many people in the world live without basic needs, they say that the typical Citizen of the United States, that's me and you, that the typical person in our culture will have something like $2 million pass through his or her hands in the lifetime. Understand? I'm not saying you'll ever be a millionaire, but I'm saying in your lifetime, you're going to handle something like $2 million. It it passes through your hands. It's just something of perspective because i know in a congregation like ours some of you feel very very poor and and you are poor when you compare yourself to your neighbors perhaps but but in a world standards we are all very very wealthy we have shoes that light up you understand As we turn to talk about money, though, I'm not about to make you feel guilty for what you have. I'm just not. It is not a sin to have money. It's not always a sin to want more money. I'm not about to preach that. And it's not a sin to spend money on material things as we all do. That's not a sin. And I'm not about to preach that it is. I'm not going to make you feel guilty for what you have or for what you don't have. I'm not. But I just want to suggest this. It may be that you're doing nothing wrong at all with your money. And I would say chances are that that's the truth. There's probably nothing wrong with what you're doing with your money right now. But understand, you can do nothing wrong with your money and still not manage to do anything right. Understand? You can do nothing wrong and still not manage to do anything right. So I want us to take a look at Scripture. Genesis chapter 41. This is an Old Testament story. But I want us to take a look at some principles from the life of Joseph that pertained to to stewardship. In the old days, I would try to preach on tithing at least once a year, and I still like to preach on tithing. I do believe that is a a, a basic part of the Christian's life. We give back to God a portion of what he gives to us. But in the last number of months and years, I've really just come to to a conclusion that it is a waste of time to preach tithing to people who predominantly live paycheck to paycheck. It's just a waste of time to talk about tithing in a culture where most people just don't even plan and think about their money at all. And I'm not saying that's you, but I'm saying that it's a whole lot of people these days. They don't plan. They don't think. There there is no discipline. There is no real wise management at all when it comes to their money. And so I want us to back up a little bit and be a little more basic today than even just tithing. Let's talk about simple management. Genesis chapter 41, we're going to start with verse 14. Great story. This is the very part in Joseph's story where everything turns around for him. He has been in prison. Why is Joseph in prison? Anybody remember? Remember? He was accused of rape by Mrs. Potiphar. He, he was an innocent man who was accused of rape, thrown into prison. This is after his brother sold him into slavery. Joseph has had nothing but bad luck for about 13 years, okay? So 13 years of, of bad luck brings us to verse 14, Genesis 41. Listen to this. Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once, and he was quickly brought from the prison. After he shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night, and no one here can tell me what it means. But I have heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. Listen to this. It is beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. I love Joseph. So Pharaoh told Joseph his dream. In my dream, he said, I was standing on the bank of the Nile River and I saw seven fat, healthy cows. Now stop right there. Cows were sacred animals in Egypt. They were a sign of the God of fertility. So cows are very, very important. So Pharaoh dreams of seven fat, healthy cows that came up out of the river and began grazing in the marsh grass. But then he says, I saw seven sick-looking cows, scrawny and thin, come up after them. I've never seen such sorry-looking animals in all the land of Egypt. These thin, scrawny cows ate the seven fat cows. But, But after you wouldn't have known it, for they were still as thin and scrawny as before. Then I woke up. Then I fell asleep again, and I had another dream. This time I saw seven heads of grain, full and beautiful, growing on a single stalk. Then seven more heads of grain appeared, but these were blighted, shriveled, and withered by the east wind. And the shriveled heads swallowed the seven healthy heads. I told these dreams to the magicians, but no one could tell me what they mean. Joseph responded. Both of Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God is telling Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. That's a good verse, underline that. God is telling in advance what he is about to do. The seven healthy cows and the seven healthy heads of grain both represent seven years of prosperity. The seven thin scrawny cows that came up later and the seven thin heads of grain withered by the east wind represent seven years of prosperity. Famine. This will happen just as I have described it. For God has revealed to Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt. But afterward, there will be seven years of famine so great that all the prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt. Famine will destroy the land. This famine will be so severe that even the memory of the good years will be erased. As for having two similar dreams, it means that these events have been decreed by God and he will soon make them happen. Therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth, 20% of all the crops during the seven good years. Have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses. Store it away and guard it so there will be food in the cities. That way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise, this famine will destroy the land. Skip over to verse 53. At last the seven years of bumper crops throughout the land of Egypt came to an end. Then the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had predicted. The famine also struck all the surrounding countries, but throughout Egypt there was plenty of food. Take a seat. Let's talk about old men for a minute. Y'all know any old men? David Brown, who's not an old man, God help him. David Brown was a camp counselor this week at Camp Joy with our first through sixth graders. And David said, one day out of the blue, some kid walked up to him and sniffed him and said, you don't smell like an old person. I don't even know what that means, David. I don't know if that's good. I don't know if that's bad. You don't smell like an old person. Y'all know about old men? You ever been in an old man's shop or an old man's garage? Raise your hands. You ever been in one? You ever seen one? Yeah. It's weird. Old men are weird. They're, They're weird. If you go into an old man's garage, an old man, I'm not insulting any old men, but I'm about to talk about your shop right now. You walk in an old man's shop or garage, what do you see? Odd stuff. You see coffee cans, lots of coffee cans. Now, why do old men save coffee cans? Well, first off, nobody really knows. Nobody knows why old men save coffee cans. They just save coffee cans and they put stuff in them. What do they put in them? Yeah, screws, nuts, bolts, nails. Bent nails, rusty nails, but they save stuff in coffee cans. They'll save nails and and screws and and bolts and and just everything. Old men save everything. Like they can't go to Lowe's and buy a new pack of screws. You understand? They save all this stuff in in coffee cans or even better. You ever known an old man that saves stuff in, in plastic bread sacks? Plastic bread sacks. They'll save stuff in plastic bread sacks. In other words, that tells you they're not even throwing away plastic bread sacks. They save those. And they save, old men will save pieces of string. You know any farmers? They save grass string, like that you bale hay with. Why do they save that stuff? It's everywhere. It's absolutely everywhere, but they save it. My dad has bundles and bundles of completely used grass string. Why are they saving grass string? Any kind of string, pieces of string, old wire. Old men save wire, and nobody knows why. They just save wire. They save nearly everything. Why do they do this? One old man from the redneck section says, you never know when you might need it. Yeah. That's really, really interesting. It's really, really interesting. You never know, the old man says, you never know when you might need it. That's very, very fascinating because honestly, that generation, the generation of our fathers, grandfathers, maybe your great-grandfather, that generation had a very different kind of life than most of us have known. I grew up in the 60s and 70s. Most of you have grown up after me. So honestly, we really don't have the same mentality that our parents, grandparents, great-grandparents have had. But those old men, they know something that you don't know, and they understand something that you don't understand for the basic reason that they live through hard times. Your great-grandparents lived through the Great Depression, they called it. And that was a time of scarcity. When I mean scarcity, I mean you couldn't buy stuff. In many cases, you couldn't find stuff. I don't mean just fancy stuff. I mean basic necessities. Times were really, really hard. And when your grandfather tells you about how, how hard times was, he wants you to understand something that, honestly, you just don't understand. And he sees it in your face that you don't understand it, and this is what frustrates him. He really knows something that you don't know. The old folks used to have a saying. They would talk about saving it for a rainy day. Save for a rainy day. What were they talking about? What does it mean to save for a rainy day? Somebody tell me. What's that? The day it doesn't rain, perhaps. Yeah, when the drought comes, maybe. But the whole idea is that hard times come. You don't understand it, and you don't necessarily see them coming, but the older folks understand that things can change very, very quickly. Things can change very, very quickly, and, and you can go from, from a time of prosperity to a time of scarcity in an instant. Things can happen just that quickly. Right now, you may be doing doing pretty well. You've got a good job. You don't understand that you are just one major illness, one bout with cancer. You don't understand that you are just one disaster away from disaster. Simply don't understand how quickly things change. Our grandparents, our great-grandparents, they understood the importance of saving for a rainy day, of saving for a time of scarcity and hardship because they had lived through that. Most of us have never seen anything like real hardship, and that affects the way we think. It affects the way we relate to things. It affects the way we relate to our money, because honestly, we live like a rainy day will never come. We live as if there will always be an unlimited supply of everything. Just think about how much food we scrap at the end of every meal because we don't like leftovers, some of us. Do you understand? We just scrap plates full of perfectly good food. Why do we do that? Because we absolutely assume that there's always going to be plenty of food. We can afford to throw food away. Some of you right now would take a perfectly good cell phone and bounce against the wall. Why? To get a new cell phone. Yeah. You see, we're in this whole mindset where we just simply, we just upgrade and update everything. We don't think about making things last. We want to know how quickly can we get something new. Do you understand? Your great-grandparents didn't think like this. They didn't imagine this unlimited supply of everything that you could always just replace what you have with something better, something newer. That's not how they Thought the world worked because honestly, that's not how the world works. Things can change quickly. Things can change very, very quickly. Which brings us to the Joseph story. Now, you'll notice here in Joseph's instance, In the first case, things change very quickly, but for the better. And honestly, that's a good thing. Sometimes they do. Those of you struggling in hard times right now, those of you suffering financially, those of you who've been without work now for over a year, God bless you. You are still in my prayers. I can't imagine how hard it is for you. But I do want you to understand that things can change quickly. And they will change quickly for you. God help you. I pray that it's a day really, really soon. But things change quickly. When they change, they tend to change very quickly. Now think about Joseph. He was sold into slavery by his very own brothers, thrown into a pit. His father went ahead and had his funeral. His father assumed that he's dead. He's dead to everybody. Only his brothers know the truth, and honestly, they don't really know where he ended up. He was sold into slavery in the land of Egypt. He was falsely accused of rape and thrown into prison, and he sits there for something like 13 years. Something like 13 years. Why in the world would Joseph have to suffer that? Why would he have to sit in prison? Why would it happen for 13 years when honestly, when it's time for it to turn around, it turns around in less than a day. In less than a day, they yank him out of prison. They save him. They wash him. They put him in Pharaoh's palace. And he becomes second in command in less than a day. Did you understand how quickly, how quickly things change? It seems quick to us, but what we have to understand is that it's not a surprise to God. We don't ever really know how things will turn out. We don't even know how today is going to change our lives, but God knows. God always knows what's coming next. And so here's the basic principle, the basic principle of stewardship that I want you to understand. And if you would, write this down. You may need this one day. It might be today that you need this. Write this down. A Basic fundamental principle of your life, but also your life as a steward of what God gives you. Listen to this: God always prepares you where you are. God always prepares you where you are for what comes next. God always prepares you where you are for what comes next. Do you understand? Very important. Very, very important. Those of you in high school right now, those of you in middle school right now, so anxious to get your life moving, so anxious to to get out of middle school and get into high school, so anxious to turn 16 so that you can drive, so anxious to get out of high school so that you can go on and get a job or go on and go to college, so anxious to get out of college so that you can get married, so anxious to get married so that you can have children, so anxious to have children so that you can eat at Chuck E. Cheese, so anxious through your whole life to rush everything along, but you don't understand that every single moment, every season, every episode of your life is an episode where God is doing something very, very important. Now It may seem like wasted time to you. It may seem like a very dry time. It may seem like a time when God has completely forgotten you. He never forgets about you. He's not left you somewhere and walked off and forgotten about you. Wherever you are, God is preparing you right there. God is preparing you where you are now for what comes next. God always knows what comes next. We never know. We never understand. So I want you to take a look at the story with me and let's talk about some basic stewardship principles. This idea that God prepares you where you are for what comes next, it, it applies in every single area of your life, but it especially applies in, in your finances. It especially applies when it comes to your money. We know from scripture that, that the prayer is to, for God to give us daily bread, the daily necessities, and truly God is going to provide for our daily necessities. I, I believe that, and I think we can trust God for that. He's going to provide daily bread. The thing about it is, though, God can sometimes give me several days' bread at once. God will often give me what I need ahead of time. It's a basic principle of how God provides. In my job, I get paid once a month. I get paid at the front of the month. And that paycheck is God's way of providing for me. It comes through this church. God bless you all. But understand, it's God's way of providing for me. Just like your paycheck or whatever your means of income is God's way of providing for you. But I don't get it dripped out to me a day at a time. I get it a month at a time. I get that paycheck at the front of the month. And so my responsibility as a manager, my responsibility as an adult, my responsibility as a steward of what what God gives me is to manage that in such a way where it sustains me. Do you understand? If you use up everything you have today, then you have nothing to live on tomorrow. I know that sounds really, really simple, but do you know enough about your neighbors to understand how many people these days aren't getting this part? They don't understand the part about managing money and, and taking what God gives you and then, and then making that last, seeing that it provides for your needs because God is taking care of you and God's gonna take good care of you. He, he always does. But what God gives you is in, in your hands and, and you have to manage it. You just gotta manage it. I've told y'all before about, about the, the, the big deal in my life when I was a kid was the, the Kendall picnic. Kindle was the factory where my mother worked. And every year they would take the whole factory on a Sunday to Beach Bend just to ride the rides. And honestly, in those days, Beach Bend was huge to me. It was huge. We might have been going to, to Las Vegas for me. That, that was big. And I loved the rides. I just I loved the tilt-a-whirl. I loved the scrambler. I was always terrified of... What was running? We called it the vomit comet. It's that thing that just went round and round. And then in the old days, when people got out, they would just hose it out. It was just such a rotten thing. It was awful. But I loved that. I just loved Beach Bend. And, of course, you had to have tickets for everything. And on the way in, we would get tickets, and my dad would have this long, long string of tickets for for me and my sister. Now, there were two approaches my dad would take. Sometimes dad would, would just walk around with me, and when I got to a ride, he would tear off and give me the ticket I needed for that ride. Oh, that drove me crazy. It drove me crazy. I wanted to hold all my tickets. I wanted all my tickets. I wanted them all in my pocket. I wanted to walk around Beach Bend thinking I can do anything I want, when I want. I got tickets, baby. Sometimes my dad would give me all of my tickets. What do you think would happen? Two hours later, no tickets. Yeah, no tickets. Yeah. Because I wasn't really a very wise manager. Of those things. And my father was wiser than I, and often wise enough to work with me in such a way where I could learn to be a better manager. And I'm promising you, your heavenly father is, is the same way. But in your life right now, God provides everything that you need to do, everything He wants you to do. You understand? He provides everything you need for everything he wants you to do. That doesn't mean he wants you to have a house in Heartland. It doesn't necessarily mean that. It doesn't mean he wants you to drive a brand new car every two years. I'm not saying that. Your culture tells you that, but if God doesn't provide that for you, then you're going to have to learn to live within your means. You understand? God provides everything that you need to do, everything he wants you to do. And often he provides that in a paycheck or in a sum of money that will come to you at one point. And that is intended to sustain you. This is the real tragedy of people who get the paycheck and then just blow it. They blow it at the front end of the month. The paycheck comes, and, and here's the money that's supposed to feed groceries for your family for the next month, but you can't manage to make it last for a month. That paycheck comes, and you're really wanting the new iPhone with an otter box. You really want the iPhone with the Otterbox, box, and so you spend that money when you've got it because you want that iPhone so bad. Or you go off and you get your nails done. You get Get your fingernails and your toenails and your eyelashes and whatever else they do there. You get all of that done at the front of the month because you've got the money. And you just love having that money to spend. You go out, you start eating out. You just start eating out every night of the week that first week of the month because you've got that money. And, and you understand, it's not a matter of having money or not. Most of our financial problems, they have less to do with who's got money and who doesn't. If you read scripture, the money comes really down to not the haves and the have-nots, but the foolish and the wise. It comes down to foolishness and wisdom. And many of us simply do not walk in the way of the wise when it comes to our money. Did you understand? if that paycheck comes at the first of the month and you spend that money on a new tattoo and at the end of the month, you've gotta come and ask the church to help you have money for groceries, there's something very wrong with your life, but there's nothing wrong with the way God's providing for you. It's a wisdom issue. Do you understand? If you cannot take the money that God provides and manage that in such a way where you can meet all of your obligations, this is not a problem with God's provision. It's a problem with your wisdom. (laughs) God provides everything necessary so that we can do everything He wants us to do. That doesn't mean we can do everything we want to do. It doesn't mean we can have everything that they have on sale at the mall. We sometimes have to learn to say no to our own desires. It's called being an adult, it's called being a steward. Three quick principles from Joseph's story. The first one is just that basic stewardship mentality. It's a stewardship mentality. Now, the old man in the shop that I was talking about earlier, nobody in particular, but the old man, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, they lived with a different kind of mindset. I'd call it a survivor mentality. They lived with a survivor mentality, having suffered very, very difficult times of scarcity they learn to live as if everything is limited and everything could run out and so therefore they tend to hoard and save everything and we don't live in their world and we can't return to their world so honestly we're probably never going to live like our grandparents our great-grandparents But we have a very different mentality, which honestly is not very healthy at all. We have a consumer mentality. And that is simply the mentality that there is an unlimited supply of everything. Every year we get new school clothes. Every year, every season we get new shoes. We buy purses. We just imagine that there's an unlimited supply of everything. There is a third way, and it is a way that the Scriptures lay out for us to live. It's not this survivor mentality of scarcity. It's not this consumer mentality of having everything. It's a stewardship mentality. And this is what we see in Joseph. Joseph becomes the manager of all of the wealth of Egypt. Do you understand that? He becomes the one who is in control of all of the wealth of Egypt. But he never, ever forgets, he never forgets that it's not his. It's not his. It's not his wealth. It's not his grain. It's not his. He is a steward. He is a manager. It's a stewardship mentality. What this means is everything that you receive, everything that you have, all of your material possessions, everything that you call your own, you understand, it's not truly yours. It all comes from God who provides for you. You're supposed to manage that. You're supposed to be a responsible steward of everything that God gives you. you got to manage it. That means you've got to do some planning. Look back at the book of Proverbs chapter 21. Proverbs 21 verse 5. Proverbs 21 5. Underline this verse in your scripture. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity. But hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity. Good planning, hard work. Yes, you've got to work. Everybody has to work. There are a lot of people who feel like they have a money problem, financial problems. It's not a financial problem, honestly. You've got an income problem. You just don't work enough to make enough money to live. You need to go to work. Everybody has to work. Everybody's going to work. Hard work and good planning. Do you understand? You've got to put some planning into this. You've got to think about what you're doing with God's money. You've got to think about everything pertaining to your finances. you just got to think. I'm not saying you've got to be a banker. I'm not saying you've got to listen to Dave Ramsey every day. I'm not saying that at all, but you have to think. Because notice the wonderful way that God rescues the people of Egypt, the wonderful way he rescues them in the time of poverty, in the time of scarcity. How does he rescue them? Is it a miracle? Kind of. It is. It's kind of a miracle. But it's not the kind of miracle you expect. You see, this is how we operate. We just sort of live our lives doing what we want, not giving a lot of thought or planning to stewardship matters. We don't think a lot about God at all until the bottom drops out, and then we go to praying. We don't think a lot about our money until we're having money difficulties. And then all of a sudden, we want a miracle. We start praying, and we're praying so hard. And we want God to do something big. God, I need a job now. God, I need money now. God, I need money to pay the rent. I need money to pay the mortgage. I'm losing my house. God, help me now. But understand how God works. Understand how God works in this story. Understand that God sees the time of scarcity coming, and God reveals that, reveals that to Pharaoh, reveals that to Joseph, eventually reveals it to the whole kingdom. Everybody knows that the good times won't last forever. So God provides in an amazing way. Fourteen years out, the people begin to plan. The people have to be Disciplined and the people begin to save. Understand? God delivers His people and He does it in a beautiful way and He does it in a miraculous way, but God uses disciplined planning over time. There is no sudden miracle where they're starving and then suddenly there's bread falling from heaven like in the old days. That's not how God chooses to deliver them this time. It's years and years of discipline and planning. And saving. Do you understand? You have no idea what hard times are coming for you. We have no idea what hard times are coming for this country. But we'd be foolish to imagine that hard times won't come. You'd be foolish to imagine that all of the extra you have right now is just intended for you to continue to inflate your standard of living. You really ought to be putting something back. You really ought to be planning in such a way that if the emergency were to happen tomorrow, if the famine, the the, the drought, the scarcity were to attack your household, you wouldn't be devastated. you understand? God provides for you. He tends to provide in advance. And one of the wonderful things he provides is the wisdom to manage resources in such a way where you will be sustained over the hard times. It's a stewardship mentality. It doesn't belong to you. It doesn't come from you. It comes from God. And he tends to provide in advance, expecting you as a manager to make it last. Understand? The second principle you find in this story is the principle of, of delayed Gratification. In other words, in this time when the people are making more money than they've ever made in their whole lives, this is a tremendous time of prosperity. Seven years of the kind of money, the kind of wealth they had never seen or imagined possible. But what did they do during that time of prosperity? They saved. They put back 20% of everything they saved. Now, for some of us, that just wouldn't make any sense. If you got it rolling in like that year after year after year, why can't you just sit back and relax? Why can't you just throw a big old party? Why can't you just have anything that you want? Because you don't know when scarcity will come. You don't know why God is providing all of this for you. Maybe it's not just so that you can live high right now. Maybe God is setting you up for something down the road. I think you should have a plan. But that plan involves saying no to things now. Yes, there are absolutely things that, that I could go out and buy right now that I really, really want. I want a barn. I just want a barn. But you know what? My son wants to go to college. My son wants to go to college. You understand? And my wife wants us one day to re- retire. You see? And, and we enjoy giving. We enjoy tithing. You understand? I've been wanting a barn for years and years and years. I, I save for a barn. I save for a barn. And every time I get a barn fund going, something happens and my barn fund gets spent for something else. But, but do you understand? I can't have a barn. I just can't have a barn. I can't afford a barn right now. Even if I've got the money in my pocket, you see, there's just a matter of applying wisdom to the things that we buy, the, the, the way that we manage what God gives us. and. And sometimes we have to say no to ourselves. Maybe you make do in the house where you're living right now because you can afford that place. Maybe you stay in the apartment with the rent you're paying because you can afford that rent. Why would you go into another place and put yourself into debt? Why would you do that? The Bible doesn't say that debt is a sin, but the Bible sure says that debt is foolish. And it is a sin to default on your debts. Why would you do that? Why would you spend all the money that you have today when you don't know how you're going to live tomorrow? Why would you do that? Why would you spend all the money that you have when you know you have kids who are going to need an education? Why aren't you thinking about that? Well, Brother Tim, that's easy for you to say, you probably make a whole lot more money than I do. It really doesn't matter. There are just as many people in debt that make $100,000 as there are who make $1,000. You understand? It's not about who's got money and who doesn't. It's about wisdom and foolishness. Did you understand? Sometimes we have to wait. Sometimes we have to say no. Sometimes we have to save. It's not going to kill you. Called delayed gratification. In Joseph's day, they were putting back 20% of everything. They could have afforded to live a whole different kind of life, but they put that back because hard times were coming. Hard times came. Third principle this one's important. They lived within their means, but they also lived beyond themselves it's a good part about how the story ends they lived within their means honestly so that they could live beyond themselves the people of Egypt during this time they saved they they had a very deliberate plan and they were disciplined and they stuck to it and over that period of 7 years a, 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 a vast quantity accumulated and then the bottom fell out and there was incredible scarcity incredible famine and need and and the people of Egypt were cared for that's the way god worked he Cared for them through their wisdom and their discipline and their planning, but understand something beautiful: during that time of scarcity and and famine, Egypt began to feed all the surrounding countries. It's not just that they had it, so now they could live and now they could live rich. No, that wasn't even the point ever. It's the beautiful way that God provided for them, so that then they were able to provide for others. You live within your means so that you can then live beyond yourself. It's really not about houses and cars. It's really not about having more clothes than anybody else. It's really not about the cell phone that you're constantly tapping around on. You understand? It's not about those things. It really has so much more to do with what God has for us in our lives and how he blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. The people of Egypt are able to feed surrounding countries for years in a time of famine. You see, we live within our means, within the means that God provides. We live inside of that so that when the rainy day comes, we are sustained and so that we even have something left to give and share with others. That's that's God's plan. That's how he's providing for you. Wrap up with one scripture. Open your Bibles again to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. I like this. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6. Proverbs 6, 6. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become what? Rich. No, become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. But you, lazy bones, how long will you sleep? You got a teenager, how many times have you said that this week? How long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then what? Poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Isn't that interesting? It's what happens when you don't really understand how quickly things change. And honestly, that's just how life is. There are some people where poverty attacks them like a bandit. They thought they were doing fine. They thought they were doing well. And suddenly, suddenly the bottom drops out. Poverty attacks them like a bandit, like an armed robber, Scripture says. Do you understand, poverty might surprise some people. That time of scarcity, the unemployment, it may surprise some people, but it never surprises God. God knows exactly what's down the road for you, and I'm telling you, God always provides everything you need. He doesn't provide full knowledge for what's coming, but he still provides fully for what's coming. He's providing for what comes next, where you are right now. That's the importance of understanding that you're a steward of everything that comes into your hands. It's the importance of learning the ways of wisdom so that when God provides for you, you're able to live within your means and then to live beyond yourself. That's not something just for certain people or, or rich people or especially godly people. This is the way God cares for all his people. Let's pray together. God, truly we are thankful. Lord, although many of us in this house today don't have everything we want, not everything we wish for, we can say that we have everything that we need. For this we give you thanks and praise. God, you are a faithful and generous provider. God, help us to understand our obligations before you, Lord, to be good managers, good planners. Help us to be responsible with everything that you give us, Lord. Help us to know the difference between wisdom and foolishness when it comes to what we buy, when it comes to the way we manage, Lord, the resources you give us. Lord, many of us confess that we are not wise. Lord, sometimes we complain and we want to blame you for our poverty, Lord, but truly, Lord, you have not chosen us for poverty, Lord. You have chosen us for blessing. Help us, Lord, to trust you fully and then, Lord, to serve you wisely. Lord Jesus, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.